Hello and welcome to today's episode of Platinum Talks Wealth. Emmy-nominated journalist Jennifer Rogers Markwell changed gears in her television career when she realized the need to help women make sense of investing. She regularly hosts educational workshops to empower women and others to take charge of their financial future. Now, join your host, Platinum Wealth Management President Jennifer Rogers Markwell as she leads us into the world of money memories, money infidelities, and how these can mold our relationships relationship with our personal finances as adults. Let's dive into today's episode. You're joining us on the Platinum Talks Wealth podcast. I'm Jennifer Rogers Markwell, and today we are joined by Dr. Robin. Thanks so much for joining us. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So tell us all about who you are and why you do what you do. Oh, all about it, man. We could talk about that for a long time. (laughs) Uh, I will start at the beginning. So first thing you need to know, I grew up in a cult. And so at 18 years old, I was married off to my first cousin. Three weeks after I graduated from high school, I was moved 3,000 miles away from home and was living with a basic stranger, had no idea who I was, didn't know how to adult, and I had to figure it out. Lots of stories I could tell about that, but I will fast forward to the end. I stayed for eight and a half years. And part of that is because the last thing my father said to me as we walked down the aisle was, you are no longer welcome in my home as a single woman. So I had no choice. I had to figure it out. Eight and a half years later, my then husband threw me out. He told me and my father it was because I was lazy. My father called me and gave me the riot act. He told me if you had been appropriately submissive, you would have been able to make it work. But... I was fortunate because my, my husband was, A, not very bright. He could not keep me in the cult. He couldn't keep that grooming in place. B, he was very badly in debt, so he had needed me to have a job. So I, when he left me and threw me out, I had a job. The third part, which may not sound like a good thing up front, he had a drug problem. And I learned many years later, the reason he threw me out was the drug cartel he had gotten involved with wanted to steal his identity, which they did do. He almost ended up in federal prison. They needed me out of the way to do that. So I had fixed his credit and they knew that I did our family finances and I would recognize what they were doing. So they convinced him that I was holding him back. He could do better than me. And so he threw me out for that reason. So I have a drug cartel to thank for getting me out of a bad marriage. Wow. That's wild. So that's where it starts. Then I started playing competitive beach volleyball and got really into the sport aspect of it. I had to figure out how to adult. I'd never dated. I'd never made a decision on my own. Started working on that. About seven years later, I made my own mistake. I married a narcissistic, closeted bisexual. Zero out of five stars do not recommend. However, some good things came out of that as well. He moved me up to Long Island and then promptly took a job in London, England. He left me here in the States to keep his tax status. I couldn't get a job. I was just a pretty girl with a high school diploma. And he said to me, we don't need your silly money anyway. Why don't you just go to college? And so for six and a half years, he lived in London. I lived here and managed his finances and his life. And I went to college and I got an undergrad, a master's and a doctorate. All the while, I would fly over to London and do wine tastings and dinner parties and be executive arm candy wife. And in that time, I got to talk to a lot of very powerful men. And I realized how lonely they were and how much they really wished they had someone to talk to. 
And that's what led into the business I have now, which is doing high performance support and coaching for executives and founders and some celebrities and athletes. So there is a short version of a very long story. That is quite the journey. Um, obviously, quite wild and, and your journey to where you're at now. But I noticed that you kept saying kind of the silver lining. And here's mm -hmm. kind of the goodness that I was finding in that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's huge in itself. It is. And I'm really fortunate now. I'm married to a really great guy. He's a really good partner for me. And I have a little dog I teach to do circus tricks. She's amazing. But what I've realized is the bad relationships I, I'm, I was in, I can't talk, that I was in showed me what a great relationship is. Because I feel like if I had been in the relationship I'm in now, in my 20s, I would have thought it was boring. And what I realize now is, no, this is what calm looks like. And calm's not so bad, right? Calm and boring and contentment, I think, are, can be beautiful things. Mm -hmm. And that trust. I know that we're going to get into kind of money and, and the things we have in the background. And my husband and I now have such a good relationship about money. Like we talk about it. We have good discussions about it. Um, we view it very differently, but then we have conversations about what it looks like together. And that has worked really well for us. I mean, that's pretty amazing that you can go through all that you've gone through, open your heart up. And, and also open up the conversation to, you know, different things like money within your relationship. Mm -hmm. So when kind of back to what you do coaching wise, so high profile men that are doing their own thing that really don't have that trusted relationship with anyone else that they can really kind of unload. Right. Mm -hmm. And we talk about everything. That's what makes me different from, say, a therapist who's going to say, well, how do you feel and what do you think you should do? which is not particularly helpful when you're a very high profile person and you're looking for somebody who's going to brainstorm and bounce ideas around with you or an executive coach who won't talk to you about your personal life at all. They don't want to hear about my, and I hear a lot of stories about wives who spend more money and like men are trying to constantly box in and say, look, you can't just be spending money willy nilly. I hear stories about business partners engaging in fraud. I hear all the, a lot of those kind of things. And these are men who are very close to the chest. They're very private. They don't want the world to know that they have trouble because it's bad for their evaluation. It's bad for their stock price. So they, they need to keep that quiet and they don't have friends. They have bros. They have people they drink with, people they golf with, but they don't have friends. And I kind of fill that gap for them. Yeah. I mean, good point. The bro show is very different from a confided, you know, trusted source that's next to you that you can share things openly with. Absolutely. And someone that you trust to not judge you and to actually help you. Yeah, that's huge. Well, you touched on it, right? We do talk about money. We talk about all kinds of things here. So one of the topics that I really like to have people open up to is, is money memories. What's a money memory that you had as a younger person or a teenager or whatnot that really helped mold your relationship to money as an adult? I grew up really, really poor, like really poor, like hand-me-downs, no new clothes really poor. And what I noticed in my growing up time was that my dad was the one who made all the decisions about the money. And my mom asked and skimped and didn't have any say in it. And I realized as an adult that I took that with me that, oh, women shouldn't be engaged in the money. And so when I first married my first husband and he was so badly in debt, I was just like, well, that's, that's his responsibility. And it took me a while to realize no, I actually know how to balance a checkbook. I need to take responsibility for this. And that was a really big transition for me. 
for you, obviously, with the journey that you've been on, I'm sure it just from what even what you're sharing, like you've changed the narrative in so many different directions to get to where you're at. What did that look like for you there? There was a lot of guilt and so a lot of shame that I had to work through. And I am not sad to say I found some really good therapists around the way along the way who were able to say to me, look at what you're thinking. Is that true? You know, is the the belief that women shouldn't leave because they're too emotional, is that true or is that something that was told to you that you've integrated? And having someone to kind of put that mirror up to me and, you know, be a me for me to say, are you sure? And let me question it and let me think through it has been amazing for me. That's been a big part of my journey. That's a great statement. Be a me for me. Yeah. And and really doing that, you know, self-work of of looking inward, right? Instead of always looking outward. And I feel like that that's definitely there's a commonality there from a lot of folks that are, you know, looking outward always and not pulling it inward, saying, Hey, where am I at? Like, let me meet myself at wherever I am and figure it out. And it's hard to find somebody that you can trust that way because there are so many people, and I'm sure you see this in your industry too, who claim to be good at whatever it is they're and they're not. They're terrible. I mean, I have a saying, I say that the coaching world is a very deep pool full of very shallow people. And so often you go and you try to talk to someone and they're not good and they don't help you and it's a waste of money. And then you get bitter or angry or frustrated and you don't want to try again. And so I guess I have to encourage people, keep trying till you find someone who's a good fit for you. Yeah, that's something in finance, right? With my clients too. I'm not a fit for everybody. Not everyone's going to love me as much as I love myself, right? right? But I think at the end of the day, you have to have that good, solid communication where you're comfortable sharing, but it is a two-way road. You want to make sure that you're meeting in the middle together and it makes sense and you feel like you can really communicate because if you're holding back, then how are you going to get the help or the support that you truly need if you're not being open in that moment? And, and good, again, going on both sides, of course. Trust is such a huge thing. I tell my clients, if you lie to me, I can't help you. That's pointless. Don't come in here and pay me to lie to me. Yeah, because that's not beneficial for them at all in that situation or for you and your time. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's going hand in hand right into financial infidelities. What's an infidelity that you've either experienced or witnessed or a a number of a few potentially that you're willing to share? Yeah, so I have a couple of things I can share. Uh, First has to start with my first ex-husband. Um, he was really good at hiding money and, and buying things that were like nudes of women, like pictures of women and hiding them in the closet. And I would discover them and be like, what is this? And why did you spend $250, $300 for a picture of a naked woman? I don't understand. Um, he also had this thing where he would, he would get his paycheck in a check form and he would deposit his straight pay, but the cash, he would take cash for the overtime. Hmm. And that money would disappear. I would never. And of course, looking back, I'm like, duh, Robin, he was buying drugs with it. But I was so naive. I didn't even realize that that was something he was really good at was taking cash and then hiding it and using it for his own stuff. That's crazy. That's, yeah. and, but you were able to identify it, kind of navigate through that too, for just even your home infidelity that you experienced. I know yeah. when we were previously talking, you were sharing other, you know, infidelities from others and things that you've experienced and, and helped folks with along the way. 
Yeah. So I had a client who she owned several retail shops and she was really good with her numbers. And she thought that she was really on top of her numbers. And she had this one shop that just wasn't performing. It just wasn't doing as well as the others. And she was running ads and doing different things. And she just couldn't get that shop to really run. And she finally decided to sit down and really look at the numbers. And because she was going to thinking about, am I going to close the shop? Does this make sense? And she realized then that her bookkeeper was skimming money off the top of that shop. And that's why that one wasn't successful. And that turned into a whole, you know, got the authorities involved in a fraud case and trials. And I mean, it was a lot, a lot of money that she took off the top of that business, which is really unfortunate. And the financial infidelity side, I mean, can come also as that guilt to yourself, right? You were sharing before that she felt guilt from not being able to find that or kind of dig through that. But then also some folks have shared even not being impeccable to themselves about their financial situation and kind of mm. feeling this, this self-loathing, self-guilt kind of feeling as well. So I have a, this might be different than other guests that you've had, but I, having grown up very poor and having grown up in a situation where women weren't allowed to spend money without permission, I fight that with myself. I still view money as like something you have to hang on to and you shouldn't spend it and be careful. And it's unnecessary. And I cause myself so much grief and so much dread. And I have to have conversations with myself and sometimes with my coach about like, where is this dread coming from? Is what's going on with it? And my husband is great because he'll sit down with me and be like, Robin, look, we're okay. For the next six months, we could literally have no money coming in and we would be fine. So how do we work through this dread with you? Because that is something I still will wake up. Panic is a strong word and I don't use it. I don't want to use it lightly. But with that, am I okay? Where are my numbers? Am I going to make it? And it's, it's sad that I have that kind of stress in my life unnecessarily. That's, you bring up a really good point on that too, because I feel like that money memory could have come from, you know, when you were growing up, like you had shared, but that seed was planted and that mm -hmm. seed still blossoms occasionally as you're kind of moving forward too, even though, you know, mm -hmm. you're doing fantastic and things are good in your world, but it'll poke its head in every once in a while. Like for me, and I think, gosh, when I chatted with you the first time, I was kind of sharing my money memory of, you know, my grandparents, they raised me, they were mom and dad. And they had cabinets of corn and beans and canned food and all the things because for them, it was getting food on the table because they were depression kids, had a bunch of brothers and sisters, wanted to make sure that everybody was always fed. So for me, like I have a food hang up a little bit and I know it still pops out once in a while. Like mm -hmm. my husband, I literally, literally last night, I was like, hey, we had a big like thing of chili, like some green like chilies, like salsa type of things. And I said, where are those? He's like, that expired like two years ago. And I was like, no, it's fine. He's like, no, seriously. He's like, seriously. Like, there's no reason. And then I'm like, okay, there, there it is, right? For me too. So I, I hear you. I hear you. My mom that. has some of that. When I was home recently, um, my, my parents moved into a smaller home and there was canning, like jars and jars and jars of cherries and peaches that I had canned in 2011 that were in their little, you know, cellar, I guess is what it is. It's not really a basement, little cellar. And she wanted to move it. And I'm like, mom, you know, that don't, that's not nutrition. Don't move that. And we ended up, I hope she doesn't hear this because she'll be so mad. We ended up taking it, my sister and I, and we dug a hole and buried it <laughs> because of, like we dumped it out of the jars and kept the jars obviously. But I'm like, I, I picked those cherries. I picked those peaches. I canned that in 2011. No, do not move it. I, 
oh my gosh, like with my grandparents, they had bloated. And again, my grandparents were amazing. And I say this not discouraging by any means, but Same. they had they had canned corn that was like bloated. And I was like, guys, and this was a long time ago. And I'm like, if you're going to go out in this world, I said, go out for a good reason, not because you eat a can of bloated corn. Right. Well, Who knows what that you were down there? or botulism or what is happening there. I, but I, I packed I mean, garbage bags of like cans and things. And I remember throwing them out and they were so mad at me in that moment. And I was like, I will replace every can that I'm throwing out right now. Like I will. But I remember they were they were not happy with me for that. And I get it because I get that their money memory was having food on the table and making sure everybody had food. So they were like, you're wasting this. So I, I get it. I get it. But it's yep. interesting how that keeps resurfacing for me and, and you're seeing it for yourself. Yeah. And I, what I say for my clients is you have kind of an emotional attic. And you have stored memories in there and you never know when you're going to trip over a box that you thought you had emptied and thrown away. And then you discover it's nope, that's emotional memory is still in my attic and I'm still tripping over it sometimes. And you never know when you're going to bump into a box like that. I think I've got some boxes. I think everybody does. We all do. Yeah. 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 Part of being human. For sure. And being a work in progress, right? And doing that, Absolutely. doing that self-work and evaluating yeah. and really trying to be the best version of yourself, whatever that looks like for you. And that whole idea that you can be perfect just as you are and still want to grow. Yes. Yes. And you could be an expert in your field, but still learning and growing in other areas as you're evolving as a person. And even as an expert, I feel like I, I learn stuff all the time. I meet other people and I'm like, how did yes. I not know that? I've been doing this for 15 years. <laughs> well, I think that's where it never changes, at least for me, from my perspective. I, I, I tease the older I get. When you're younger, you think you know it, right? You're like, oh, I totally got this. And now that I'm like getting older, I'm like, wow, I, I know a solid good two, three percent, but I feel like I am always learning. And the more I know, the really the more I realize I don't know in essence. And that's the challenge that we have with social media is that people who don't know are out there spouting like they have a clue. And those of us who do know are kind of hedging like, well, these are the information I have. And so then you end up with the bad information being much louder yeah. than the good information. Yeah, that, oh my gosh, like it's interesting too in my arena, right? Well, in yours too, like you have to be licensed. You have to have certain degrees of education to do what you do in essence. I, mm -hmm. I absolutely do. Mm -hmm. And then you see somebody who is, you know, 12, maybe they're not really 12, but they're 12 and they're on TikTok <laughs> or wherever they're at. And they are telling you how to create your financial plan and how to do all these things for retirement. I'm like, you're, you're 12 and you clearly have no education or licensing behind what you're trying to spew out in the world. And it's challenging because you want folks to get educated and find that financial literacy on our side, but you right. also want them to find a reputable source to be able to help and support them and not somebody who's just smoke and mirrors. Yeah. And it frustrates me because I tell people, I'm like, that's psychologically damaging to people. Not only are you not helping, you're hurting them. Yeah. And that's frustrating. For sure. Well, thank you for sharing everything. And Absolutely. as we start to wrap the conversation, one thing I like to ask are what are tips and or tricks that you use to utilize money differently in your own household? One thing, and I, I've said this throughout this conversation, I, my husband and I talk about it. We have conversations about it. We have conversations about how much cash do we have in the house? How much cash do you think we need to have in the house? What does that look like? How, how do we want to pay down the mortgage? Do we want to pay down the mortgage? Is that the smartest thing we could be doing right now? And when I talk about that, we don't just talk about the logical numbers like this is how we also talk about the emotional aspect of it what does it mean how what do you need to feel safe and what does money mean to you and being able to have that conversation and being safe in that conversation with him is so important for me 
Now, am I saying that every single day we run the numbers? No, but when I need to, he's willing to do it. That's awesome. I, I think the emotional side of money is one that, I mean, we talk about it here and I think it's so important. And that was a common thread I was seeing amongst clients that I'm like, everybody has a money memory and a financial infidelity that's definitely molded them to where they're at now. Mm-hmm. But most people won't talk about it. It's definitely, I, I think, getting more mainstream to have the conversation and to have it out there. But money was always that taboo subject. And especially the emotional side of money. And and when people are doing the things they're doing or saving or whatever that looks like, what's the why behind that? Because it's not always just dollars and cents, the tangible, you know what I mean? Money right. aspect of it. It's the, what's the why? What's the deep why? And the thing you feel shame about is the thing you should probably talk about because that's the thing that's going to eat you alive. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Totally appreciate your time and, and sharing today. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. I love talking to you. You're an amazing human. Oh, I'll right back at you. I totally agree. Thanks. Well, and those of you listening or watching, hopefully you'll join us again on our next Platinum Talks Wealth podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, Platinum Talks Wealth, please subscribe and share. For more information about Jennifer Rogers Markwell or Platinum Wealth Management, please visit www.platinumwealth.net. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member of FINRA and SIPC. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. The guest speakers and their companies are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial or Platinum Wealth Management. 